Testing, one, two, three. Testing, one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon. On the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, The Mormon Myth That Would Not Die. Unpaid Ministry. As most of you know, I was baptized into the church, the LDS church, at the age of 18 back in 1978. At that time, I learned a lot of very, very flattering things about the LDS church, how great it was, how true it was, and how it really, really was a restoration of the gospel and the church that Jesus Christ established 2,000 years ago. The missionaries who taught me, as well as other friends who were members of the church, enjoyed regaling me with all the different signs of Mormonism that hooked up and matched the church in the New Testament, thus proving that the LDS church is true. One of those signs was that the LDS church, so I was told, had no paid ministry. Nobody got paid for volunteering in the church. Nobody got paid for serving in the church. Bishops did not get paid for their service. Stake presidents did not get paid for their service, and so on, up the line, all the way to the prophet. The prophet did not get paid for his service, and the apostles as well did not get paid for their service. None of the general authorities got paid for their service because we have an unpaid clergy or an unpaid ministry. It's sometimes referred to either way, but the common denominator being unpaid. I suppose to the degree that we gave it any thought whatsoever, we generally understood that the leaders of the church had been very successful in their secular pursuits. They were generally businessmen or lawyers or perhaps even scientists. But whatever their career before they were called to be an apostle, we understood and knew that they had some other source of income, whether it was from a retirement plan if they worked for the government or a private institution or whether they were independently wealthy and had enough to fund their own needs as well as their family needs while they served as an apostle or general authority without being paid by the church. We wore this sign as a badge of honor. So in a nutshell, not only did the LDS church not have any paid ministry as we were taught, number two, the fact that it was an unpaid ministry was a sign that the church was true, and number three, the LDS church looked down and made fun of any other minister in another religion who did receive a salary, who was paid. Now, as As most of you know, in January of 2017, the LDS world was rocked by the leak of pay stubs and documents showing that, in fact, the apostles were paid. They are paid. They've been paid all along, and they have been paid quite well. And by quite well, I mean probably better than 95% of their membership. At that point, the church went into full apologetic mode, arguing that just because the apostles got paid money, and quite a bit of money, was not a problem after all because, you see, most of the apostles, having been very successful in business, are now actually getting less than they would have if they had pursued their business careers. And on top of that, if you compare the apostles as leaders of a worldwide corporation, which they are, and compare that with similarly situated leaders of worldwide corporations, they actually don't make as much as these other leaders of worldwide corporations, and therefore, nothing to see here, just move along. One of these issues that I have become attuned to is that apostles do wear at least two hats. One of them is as apostles of Jesus Christ. The other is as leaders of worldwide corporations. And frequently, they are apostles of Jesus Christ when it is in the interest of the church to have them be apostles of Jesus Christ, like in General Conference. But 
When the church needs them to be leaders of a worldwide corporation, then suddenly we go to the second hat and we look at them as leaders of a worldwide corporation. What I'm getting at here is that before this information was leaked, and while all the membership was happy to believe what they had been taught, that the leaders of the church do not get paid, the reason for that is that we were comparing modern-day apostles with former-day apostles in the New Testament. Freely we have received, freely we give. So while it helped the church to use a false claim of unpaid ministry as a sign of the true church when they were comparing modern apostles with ancient apostles, now in January of 2017, once it was leaked that they are in fact paid, now we're not comparing them to apostles anymore from the New Testament. Now we're comparing them with leaders of business in other companies. You see how that changes back and forth? It's like a three-card Monty. You've got to watch carefully while they make the switch. So what this show is going to do tonight is it's going to document the many, many, many times that we have been told by leaders of the church, either from their own mouths or from the correlated materials that they produce, supervise, and approve, that in fact the church has no paid ministry. We're going to set the groundwork for why it is that this became such a shock to members of the church in January of 2017 when this leak occurred. Because believe it or not, it did not come out of nowhere. This was not an idea that somehow the members of the church got into their heads that the leaders made no money, that they were not paid, but that members believed it because they were told over and over again by the leaders of the church that that was the case. The idea of mixing money and religion and the perils involved in that go way back. And when I say way back, I mean 2,000 years. There is a collection of books called the Apostolic Fathers. The idea behind these books is that these books were allegedly written by the second generation of Christians, whereas the first generation of Christians, their writings are supposed to be represented in the New Testament. This collection is written by the second generation, those who were taught by the first generation. So, of course, it's an incredibly valuable collection of documents. And one of these documents is called The Teachings of the Twelve Apostles. In Greek, it's called the Didache. And this book from the Apostolic Fathers is unusual in that it dates back perhaps as early as the end of the first century, possibly the beginning of the second century, is where scholars tend to peg the authorship of this book, The Teachings of the Twelve Apostles, which makes it really interesting because it is possible that this book, the Didache, was actually written prior to the Gospel of John. So its authorship may predate books that are in the New Testament. The Didache is in large part a rule book of how the church is to be run, how the ordinances are to be performed what behaviors are and are not acceptable. So in some ways, it resembles most closely in the Latter-day Saint scriptures, section 20, the Articles and Covenants of the Church in the Doctrine and Covenants. If you're going to run a church, at some point, somebody's going to write a rule book. But as I say, this is a very early rule book. And one of the things that was of concern to them was people going around claiming to be prophets, but wanting to be paid for the privilege. This is from chapter 11 in the Didache. But act toward the apostles and prophets as the gospel decrees. Let every apostle who comes to you be welcomed as the Lord, but he should not remain more than a day. If he must, he may stay one more, but if he stays three days, he is a false prophet. I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said that company and fish smell in three days. Well, a similar idea is being advanced here 
in the DDK, which is that if an apostle comes and starts to want mooching off of you and couch surfing at your house for more than three days, you can know he's not a true apostle. He's not a true prophet because that is making merchandise and getting benefit from his position and his calling and his ministry. It goes on. When an apostle leaves, he should take nothing except bread until he arrives at his night's lodging. And now get this line. If he asks for money, he is a false prophet. So in the DDK, it was very cut and dried. If a person came to you claiming to be a prophet of God and asked for money, you could mark him down as a false prophet. This same idea and the same concern about leaders in the church and prophets and apostles collecting money for their service is reflected in the Book of Mormon as well. And that sound you heard was me unzipping the zipper on my quad. Just so you know, I was taking the cover off of it. Nothing else going on here, I assure you. If we go to the book of Alma, we read about a person named Nehor. And that's in chapter 1 of Alma. At least I hope it is. And this is where we learn about priestcraft. Priestcraft is a word that, to my knowledge, is pretty much unused everywhere else in the world except for in Mormonism, and it's because of this reference here in Alma chapter 1. And even before I read it, I expect most of you know what it says. It's an interesting passage because it's something that we use to condemn other people, but we certainly don't apply it to leaders of the church now that we know that they actually do get paid and paid handsomely for their service. And this is what Nehor taught which was defined as priestcraft in the Book of Mormon, Alma chapter 1, verse 3. And he, Nehor, had gone about among the people, preaching to them that which he termed to be the word of God, bearing down against the church, declaring unto the people that every priest and teacher ought to become popular. Well, it's a good thing the leaders of the church are not popular among members of the church. And they ought not to labor with their hands, but that they ought to be supported by the people. Well, that does seem to be the situation of the leaders of the church now, doesn't it? And it goes on to talk about some other things that Nehor taught as part of his version of the word of God. And in verse 5, it says, And it came to pass that he did teach these things so much that many did believe on his words, even so many that they began to support him and give him money. And he began to be lifted up in the pride of his heart and to wear very costly apparel, yea, and even began to establish a church after the manner of his preaching. Then there's the account of Nehor running up into Gideon. They have a fight. Gideon loses and dies. And Nehor is now brought before Alma, the chief judge, to be judged according to his crime of killing Gideon. And it came to pass that he stood before Alma and pleaded for himself with much boldness. That's verse 11. But Alma said unto him, Behold, this is the first time that priestcraft, there's that word, the P word, priestcraft has been introduced among this people. And behold, thou art not only guilty of priestcraft, but hast endeavored to enforce it by the sword. And were priestcraft to be enforced among this people, it would prove their entire destruction. The story in Alma 1 goes on to give us a further helpful understanding of what priestcraft means. Verse 16, for there were many who loved the vain things of the world, and they went forth preaching false doctrines, and this they did for the sake of riches and honor. But Alma chapter 1 doesn't just tell us that priestcraft or preaching the word of God or what you think is the word of God 
for riches and honor is bad and called priestcraft, it also gives us the counterexample of how it is that the Book of Mormon author thought things should be run. And the way they should be run there is that the leaders of the church should not make any money. They should not be paid by their followers. Instead, they should work at their own job, just like their followers do. And we can find that in Alma chapter 1, verse 26. And when the priests left their labor to impart the word of God unto the people, the people also left their labors to hear the word of God. And when the priest had imparted unto them the word of God, they all returned again. They all returned again diligently unto their labors. That includes the priest. It goes on, and the priest, not esteeming himself above his hearers, for the preacher was no better than the hearer, neither was the teacher any better than the learner. And thus they were all equal, and they did all labor, every man according to his strength. Oh, verse 27 ends up becoming kind of significant, what with the church having $130 billion plus in the bank. Verse 27, And they did impart of their substance, every man according to that which he had, to the poor and the needy, and the sick, and the afflicted, and they did not wear costly apparel, yet they were neat and comely. Well, that is certainly a warning shot across the bow from the Book of Mormon to the leaders of the LDS Church today, though it doesn't seem that they're paying any attention to what the Book of Mormon has to say in this regard, at least not as it applies to themselves. Now, when I joined the church, there were a number of great speakers in the church. There don't seem to be so many today. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, we had Paul H. Dunn, who was a wonderful speaker, even though his relationship with the truth was somewhat ambiguous. There was Vaughn J. Featherstone, another great speaker. There was Hartman Rector Jr., a fantastic speaker. There was also Carlos Acey. So there were a number of great speakers in the LDS Church. These were all general authorities. But every now and again, there was a lay member of the church, not a general authority, who was a good speaker who gave a talk that was so great that it became so popular that it was then reproduced on audio cassettes. Yes, we're talking about the late 70s. And reproduced for the general membership of the church. One such talk was called the 17 Points of the true church, and the individual who gave that talk was named Floyd Weston. Now, not only were the audio tapes of his very famous talk selling like hotcakes at Deseret Books, the talk itself involves at its heart a list that was made of 17 points of the true church, and wonder of wonders, the LDS church matches each and every one of those 17 points. I went back and listened to this talk, again, in preparation for this show. And it was interesting to me that Floyd Weston gets his talk done in less than an hour, and he doesn't give a dry recitation of each of the 17 points of the true church. Instead, he tells the story of how this list came to be. He touches on a few of these points in the course of his story, but he doesn't stop and read through all 17 points of the true church. But part of the story is that all these 17 points were written out on a little card in the story. It's a five by seven card. And the 17 points are written out in abbreviated form with scriptural references at the end of each point. And these cards, these kinds of cards based upon this talk were reproduced at Deseret Book and sold. And I'm actually, and I'm actually right now going into the outer pocket of my quad. And by the quad, I mean the carrying case I have for my quad. There's an outer pocket on top. I've got a bunch of documents that are stuck in here so that I could be ready for any occasion, see? So I've got lots of notes for different classes. Back when I taught gospel essentials class. And I think I have in here 
Yes, I do. Here it is. It's a little blue card. It's smaller than 5x7. It's smaller than 3x7. But I think that's mainly because they're able to type smaller on this card. And on one side, it has a nice cursive writing, 17 points of the true church. You turn it over, and there it is. And I'm actually going to have to get my specs on to read this because <laughs> it's so small. But here it starts with 17 points of the true church, and then it goes down this one side of the card, 1 through 17. And let me go ahead and read these very quickly, even though the one that we're going to focus on is number 6. Number 1, Christ organized the church. Number 2, the true church must bear the name of Jesus Christ. Number 3, the true church must have a foundation of apostles and prophets. Number 4, the true church must have the same organization as Christ's church. Number five, the true church must claim divine authority. Number six, are you ready for it? Number six with a bullet. The true church must have no paid ministry. And the references for that are Isaiah 45 and 13 and 1 Peter 5 and 2. But there it is, number six, big as Dallas, the true church must have no paid ministry. I'm actually not going to go on with the rest of the points on that card, mainly because that's not what tonight's show is about. And I do want to get to the heart of the matter here as quickly as I can. But what I want to say is that this is something that was taught over and over again. And perhaps the most famous and most articulate popularizer of this point was Floyd Weston, a non-leader in the church. By leader, I mean general authority. I don't believe he was ever a general authority. But the church was certainly happy to spread his disinformation through their bookstores. And ironically enough, I expect they made some money off of it as well. Now, the story that Floyd Weston tells is fantastic. It's amazing. It's miraculous. And it's probably also largely apocryphal. But the story he tells goes back to before World War II, when he and four people, four young men, four friends of his, were in college just starting college. And what happens is that there is a man among them, one of these five, his last name is Dunbar. And Floyd Weston goes to great lengths to show how incredibly brilliant Dunbar is. And it's very important for Floyd Weston to paint him in this way because it is Dunbar who's going to come up with the 17 points of the true church. He says that Dunbar had an absolutely photographic memory that he could open up a page in the Bible, look at it for 15 seconds, have the whole thing memorized, and he would remember it after weeks and weeks. It wasn't just short-term memory. He could retain this information. And for whatever reason, Dunbar gets it into his head. Now, Dunbar's a Catholic, by the way. It's very important to understand that nobody in this group of five is a Mormon. None of them is a member of the LDS Church at this point. Dunbar is a Catholic. Floyd Weston himself is a Methodist, which he points out. And the other three are of different religions. One's an atheist, I think. But of course, the main point is that none of them are Mormon, and Dunbar is brilliant. Now, Dunbar is obviously disaffected to some degree with the Catholic Church. Otherwise, he wouldn't come up with these 17 points, because so many of them contradict Catholic teachings. But the idea is that Dunbar gets this big blackboard. And in one of the versions of his talks, Floyd Weston says that Dunbar took two months writing things up on this board, going through the Bible carefully, brilliantly. He even says that professors would come to Dunbar for counseling. That's how brilliant he is. And that's a good laugh line, right? But once again, we've got to show he is so brilliant that we can count on and trust the 17 points that Dunbar is going to come up with for 
the signs of the true church. So he writes them all up there on the board. He gets them all up there with their scriptural references. And then he goes and he has a secretary. Somewhere there's a secretary and he pays her 35 cents. And Floyd Weston says that was a lot of money back then to type up these 17 points with the scriptural reference on the front and back of a five by seven card. And he made five of these or had the secretary make five of these. And then he passed them out to his friends. And he says, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out and we're going to try and find God's true church. It's simple. Here's the treasure map. Here's the 17 points. All we have to do is find out which church matches all 17 of these points. And then we will know which church is God's true church. So the first church they go to is Dunbar's church, the Catholic church. They talk to his priest. That doesn't go over well. And I believe what Floyd Weston talks about there is that they get into the idea of the Trinity and how one of these points is that, let me find it. And that one of these points says that um, there can't be a Trinity, that God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost have to be three separate personages. Because of course, that's so obvious from the Bible that no other church has that in their teachings, except for the LDS church of which I'm aware, let's say the Catholic Church and the mainline Protestant churches do not have that as part of their teachings. They all adopt the doctrine of the Trinity. Yes, this is points 10 and 11. 10 says, the true church must teach that God and Jesus Christ are separate and distinct individuals. And number 11 says, the true church must teach that God and Jesus Christ have bodies of flesh and bone. That is a remarkable thing for Dunbar to come up with out of the Bible, this idea that not only Jesus Christ, but God has a body of flesh and bone. That seems to have escaped all the brilliant minds who have studied the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, for thousands of years. Yet Dunbar, the miraculous Catholic, comes up with this independently out of his study of the Bible. Well, obviously, that didn't go over well with the Catholic priest. So what do they know? They know that the Catholic Church is not the true church because it doesn't match all 17 of these points. The next church they go to, and this is the important one, the next church they go to is Floyd Weston's own church, which is Methodism. And they talk to his minister, whom I believe he said was Dr. Lee. And he knew his minister because that's the church that he attended. So they go to see Dr. Lee. That's Floyd Weston and Dunbar going to see Dr. Lee to ask him questions and see how well Methodism matches up against these 17 points of the true church. And here's where the issue of an unpaid ministry gets brought up in Floyd Weston's talk. Play the tape. We went to my church. I talked them into going to my church by appointment. On Sunday afternoon, the about two weeks from then, two or three weeks from then, we had a little layoff for a while, and uh, we had an appointment with uh, with the minister of my church. So we were standing out in the hall. Uh, Dunbar said, "Gee, there's no use us going in here, Floyd." And I said, "Well, why not? I was real proud of my church. We had a lovely building, and uh, I was in with the minister just like that. He, we were close friends." And he said, "Well, look at this." And here was the fiscal report standing uh, hanging on the bulletin board out there. He said, "Look, this this man received a salary." He said, "Look at the card." And I said, well, just a minute. You haven't even heard him yet. We went to your church. Now, let's be courteous around mine. So we went in and talked to the minister, and it all blew up because Dunbar and, uh, and Dr. Lee got in a big fight. And, uh, and Dr. Uh, it was all over. Dunbar said, look, uh, he quoted him this Hebrews 5 and 4, where no man will take this honor unto himself. He said, how did you get in the ministry, uh, uh, Reverend? He said, oh, I just uh, suddenly uh, got an urge to... To preach the gospel, he said, I'd had a grandfather who talked to me and said, why don't you do it? And I thought about it, and so I didn't know what else to go into, and I decided to go in and become a minister. And uh, he said, well, uh, you just uh, 
made the decision yourself? And he said, why, yes. He said, well, where have you gotten your authority to preach the gospel? And he pointed, right, to a great big certificate, a big diploma on the wall. And I said, you bet, there it is. And I forget the name of the theological seminary that he went to in the East that he had graduated from. And Dunbar said, no, Reverend, that isn't what I mean. Where did you get your authority to preach the, the gospel? He said, oh, I, I was ordained at the time of graduation uh, by, uh, I forget the man's name, a doctor on the faculty. He said, and where did he get his authority? And I went back and Dunbar said, well, gee, uh, you're from our church then. You, uh, I'm a Catholic boy. He said, you started from us. We didn't give you authority to start a new church, and boy, that blew it up. And uh, and Dr. Uh, Dr. Lee said, uh, you are dismissed. And I knew that I wasn't welcome to return. I hadn't said anything. I got on the hall and said, John, you, you're not only messed up in your own church, but now you've messed me up. Now, that story comes from the original version of his talk, or at least the one that was recorded and then mass-produced on audio cassettes and sold from Deseret Books. So that's the original. That is the one that I would have heard when I joined the church or shortly thereafter. It turns out that Floyd Weston has given this talk in other locations, and I found one on the internet in 1996. So now he's getting to be older. He's certainly very strong. He certainly seems to have his wits and his mental acuity about him. But what I want to do now is play from the 1996 version of his talk, his account of the same story, i.e. the story of when Dunbar and he, Floyd Weston, went to go see Floyd Weston's Methodist preacher, because you'll notice it's a bit different in this story. The issue is different. The issue in the first one that made the Methodist minister so mad had to do with authority. But in 1996, when Floyd Weston tells the story, the issue that's going to make the Methodist minister are so mad is not authority, it's about a paid ministry. Play the tape. And then we got to the next subject, which there would not be a paid ministry. There were no hirelings allowed at his flock. Men should not preach for filthy lucre, and we got dismissed very rudely. Get out of here. And Floyd, I'm surprised that you're running around with a bunch of roustabouts like these. But they were the finest young men in, in our city. I remember going down the hall saying, John, thanks a million. This used to be my church. <laughs> my minister was staring at me, and I knew what was going to happen. He was going to call my mother, and he did. And my mother was a devout Methodist lady, and I really had a stern discussion that night. Well, now, I know this is a complicated story, and I'm not saying that Floyd Weston is lying about this. I'm just saying that it appears that in his presentation of the story, there is some degree of fluidity in what discussion happens with which minister. It seems to be more important to be getting these points out to the audience, the points of the true church, than it is to be consistent in saying which issue happened with which religious minister. But for purposes of this podcast, that is the point I'm making, how it is that he cemented this idea in the minds of thousands and thousands of Latter-day Saints that an unpaid ministry is a sign of the true church. And not only that, but if you are a paid minister, a full-time minister who gets paid, that immediately disqualifies you as being a minister for the true church because leaders of the true church do not get paid. Now, let me close out this story of the 17 points of the true church because you may remember that these five young men go their separate ways. World War II breaks out. Some of them go and serve in the military. They lose track of each other, but all of them, and I think the most miraculous part of the story may be this. All of them seem to hold on to this five by seven card with the 17 points 
typed on it for them by the secretary that Dunbar paid. So they're in war, they're out parachuting, they're out doing all sorts of things, but none of them loses their card. That's very important because a number of years later, and completely independently of each other, all five of these young men end up joining the LDS church by using the 17 points on this card because it is only the LDS church that matches all 17 points of this card. I should modify that a bit. One of the five was killed in action in World War II, so it's only four of them who end up joining the church because of this card. I'm sure the fifth one would have too if he had had the chance. So it's a wonderful story. It's a faith-affirming story. This is one of the reasons it was so popular because what are the odds that that would happen? Well, the odds are so minuscule that it must be a miracle. Or if it's not a miracle, it must be made up. But regardless of whether it happened or not, it was hugely popular and cemented in the public consciousness the idea that there's an unpaid ministry in the church. But where did Floyd Weston get this idea? Well, he didn't make it up. And neither did Dunbar. This is something that the LDS Church has been teaching for decades. And we are going to go back as far as 1965 because that's the furthest back I could go to get some audio from a church leader declaring that the church has no paid ministry. This is from somebody you may have heard of. It's Boyd K. Packer. March 23rd, 1965 is the date he's giving a speech at BYU called Follow the Brethren. This speech is reprinted in September 1979 Enzyme magazine. You can find it there. And I snooped around and I found on the BYU Speeches website an actual audio recording of this speech. And here's the quote from Boyd K. Packer, a very youthful, vibrant sounding Boyd K. Packer. Weren't we all more youthful in 1965? I know I was. I was five years old. I had just turned five years old on March 23rd. Okay, so here it is. Here's the quote In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, there is no paid ministry, no professional clergy as is common in other churches. So you can see that when Boyd K. Packer says this, he is making no exceptions. It is a blanket absolute statement. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there is no paid ministry. None. Nada. There's nobody in the church who's a minister who gets paid. And he goes on to drive his point home by saying, and there's no professional clergy. No paid ministry, no professional clergy, as is common in other churches. So once again, you see that the LDS church leaders get the benefit of the purity of motive for not being paid. And at the same time, and in the same sentence, Boyd K. Packer can slam other ministers in other churches because they do get paid. The next quote, quote number two, comes from 1975. And this is Elder Bruce R. McConkie in April 1975 General Conference from his talk, Obedience, Consecration, and Sacrifice. Here's what Elder McConkie has to say on the subject. And the fact that faithful members of the church do all these things is one of the great evidences of the divinity of the work. Where else do the generality of the members of any church pay a full tithing? Where is there a people whose congregations have one and two and three percent of their number out in volunteer, self-supporting missionary work at all times? Where does any people as a whole build temples or operate welfare projects as we do? And where is there so much unpaid teaching and church administration? In the true church, we neither preach for hire nor divine for money. We follow the pattern of Paul and make the gospel of Christ without charge, lest we abuse or misuse the power the Lord has given us. 
Freely we have received and freely we give, for salvation is free. All who thirst are invited to come and drink of the waters of life to buy corn and wine without money and without price. All our service in God's kingdom is predicated on his eternal law which states, The laborer in Zion shall labor for Zion, for if they labor for money, they shall perish. We know full well that the laborer is worthy of his hire and that those who devote all their time to the building up of the kingdom must be provided with food, clothing, and shelter and the necessaries of life. We must employ teachers in our schools, architects to design our temples, contractors to build our synagogues, and managers to run our businesses. But those so employed, along with the whole membership of the Church, participate also on a free will and voluntary basis in otherwise furthering the Lord's work. Bank presidents work on welfare projects. Architects leave their drafting boards to go on missions. Contractors lay down their tools to serve as home teachers or bishops. Lawyers put aside corpus juris and the civil code to act as guides on Temple Square. Teachers leave the classroom to visit the fatherless and the widows in their afflictions. Musicians who make their livelihood from their artistry willingly direct church choirs and perform in church gatherings. Artists who paint for a living are pleased to volunteer their services freely. All who have testimonies of the divinity of the work use their talents for the building up of Zion. We solicit and use as much voluntary service as we can in all fields of church activity. All who love the Lord are engaged in his service freely, willingly, voluntarily, serving with no thought of temporal reward. All who love the Lord are anxiously engaged in the good cause of saving souls. All are consecrating of their time, talents, and means to further the Lord's work. So Elder McConkie is very, very clear that there is no preaching for hire nor divining for money in the LDS Church. That in the LDS Church, we follow the pattern of Paul and make the gospel of Christ without charge, lest we abuse or misuse the power the Lord has given us. So from Bruce R. McConkie's point of view, if they accepted money for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, they would be abusing or misusing the power that the Lord has given us. Do those words still apply to the leaders of the church today, one wonders. And also note that Bruce R. McConkie, a lawyer at heart, and I mean at heart, cannot resist the temptation to use this fact as an evidence of the truth of the church. The first part of his quote was, the fact that faithful members of the church do all these things is one of the great evidences of the divinity of the work. Where else is there so much unpaid teaching and church administration? So Bruce McConkie uses this as an evidence of the truth of the church, just like Floyd Weston does. And he makes it clear that for leaders of the church to get paid for preaching the gospel of Christ, they would be abusing or misusing the power the Lord has given to them. The next quote is two years later in 1977. This is from the New Era magazine. Now, the New Era was a magazine for young people in the church. This is 1977, March 
edition. It's under the question and answers section. And it's talking about the lifestyle change that's experienced by new converts. Of course, when you become a new convert, which I was about to do the following year after this was published in 1977, there are a lot of changes you've got to make to bring your line into order and into alignment with the teachings of the church and the commandments of the Lord. And in talking about that subject, this article says, but another reason for this change, the change in the lifestyle of new members of the church, right? But another reason for this change is their involvement in church activities. Inasmuch as there is no paid ministry in the church, service opportunities are available to men, women, and children of all ages. So it's talking about how it is that service opportunities are available to everybody. You're supposed to serve in the church. That's one of the big changes in lifestyle when you join the church, but it predicates it upon this absolutist statement that in as much as there is no paid ministry in the church. So once again, very clear, no paid ministry. So when leaders of the church and their official publications, such as the New Era, tell members of the church that there is no paid ministry in the church, are we supposed to blame the members of the church for believing that the leaders of the church don't get paid? Quotation number four comes from the same year, 1977. This is from the Enzyme magazine in 1977. It's part of a fictional story. It's under a section called Mirthright, which is a play on birthright. So these are supposed to be humorous stories published in the Enzyme magazine as a special feature. And as part of this fictional story being told, the basis for the action is, is that the church doesn't have any paid ministry. And so here's the quote from this story. Well, you see, this person is saying in responding to someone else, well, you see, we're Mormons and we don't have paid clergy. So each Sunday, a family from the congregation is asked to put on a part of the program. That's why we're in such a hurry. So once again, even in a fictional, unsigned story in the Enzyme magazine, the reason that's put forth for this family to be in such a hurry on Sunday is because, well, you see, we're Mormons and we don't have paid clergy. Going on to the following year for quote number five, 1978, we have an article written in the January 1978 Enzyme by an individual named Thomas W. Ladane or Ladanyi. It's L-A-D-A-N-Y-E. Not sure how to pronounce it. Apologize for that. The title of his article is The Six Best Talks I Ever Heard. And in that article, he states the following. Some of these things will have an all too familiar ring to many Latter-day Saints. And perhaps this is inevitable in a church where we all teach each other instead of relying on a paid clergy or professional elocutionists. So once again, the idea that there is no paid clergy in the church rearing its ugly head in this article in the Ensign, January 1978. Going on to September of 1978, the same year, we have another statement in the Ensign. This is in an article by De Lamar Jensen titled, 17 Centuries of Christianity. And of course, we know that 17 centuries of Christianity is going to only highlight the truthfulness of the LDS church while denigrating the truth of any other church during that time period. And here's what he says in this article about Joseph's early church, Joseph Smith's early church, the early LDS church. They, the people in the early church, they had no paid ministry and believe that every believer received divine help in understanding the word of God. So here he's trying to say that every believer in the early church, they got divine help in understanding the word of God. Therefore, they did not need a paid ministry. Therefore, they had no paid ministry. 
Going on to 1979. Wow, these really crop up right when I got baptized, didn't they? 1979. This is from an article in the Enzyme, July 1979, by Carl Fred B. It's actually a first name, Carl Fred. It's one word, Carl Fred B. Broderick, in his article titled, Midlife Report. Here's what he says. I am persuaded that one of the reasons our church is designed differently from others without a paid clergy is that the Lord knows that only through service can we learn the most important virtues. Once again, this absolute statement, our church is designed differently from others without a paid clergy. We get the benefit of the virtue of not being paid. We get to slam other churches for being paid. And because it's an absolute statement, we can't blame the members for believing that this applies to the leadership of the church as well as the lay members. Without a paid clergy sounds pretty universal, sounds pretty all-encompassing, doesn't it? And I've got to tell you, I'm having a hard time getting away from the idea that they are intentionally trying to get members to believe that the top leaders of the church don't get paid either. Otherwise, they could easily make a parenthetical statement in any one of these articles or talks that this does not apply to the top leadership of the church, but they don't do that. They just say the church has no paid clergy. They just say the church has no paid ministry. The next example, also from 1979, this is from a church institute manual. I recognize it. It was called The Life and Teachings of Jesus and His Apostles. It was published apparently in 1979, and it was to go along with the institute program when they were teaching the New Testament. I looked this manual up online to confirm what it was that they were saying in the manual. And what it is, is this. The manual is quoting from a book, actually a series of three books, by Bruce R. McConkie, which were his doctrinal New Testament commentary. This is not as well known that Bruce R. McConkie authored this as his book, Mormon Doctrine, or as his series of books, the Messiah series. But he did do three books where he covered the New Testament, in typical Bruce R. McConkie fashion. I found out about the series of three books on my mission. I must have been studying some other book that referenced it. Otherwise, how would I have ever known about it? And I had a contact who was a member of the church back in the States. Of course, I was in Japan. And I asked her if she would be kind enough to get me these books and ship them to me in Japan. And I, I'm pretty sure I paid her for it. I hope I did. Otherwise, she was really being nice. But she got these books for me, sent them to me in Japan, and I got to read them while I was in Japan. The Doctrinal New Testament Commentary series of three books by Bruce R. McConkie. And basically what he does is he reproduces the entirety of the New Testament in the pages of these books, which is one of the reasons why it has to be three books instead of one, I suppose. But what he does is he goes through each and every part of it, or at least the parts that he wants to comment on, and then he makes some comment in typical McConkie-esque fashion. So this is his comment on 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8. What is meant by, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. So that's an expression in that passage. And this is what Bruce R. McConkie says about it. Whew, this is a long way to get to the point. Here's what he says, and this is what is quoted in the manual. Even Paul and his ministerial associates, who were in fact entitled to temporal help from the saints, chose to set an example of self-support. Then he concludes, there are perils in a paid ministry. Well, interesting that he should put that in there, but he doesn't make any allowance for the fact that the leaders of the church themselves get an allowance. 
Instead, there are perils in a paid ministry, and he's commenting on this passage in order to support that view. This passage and this comment from Bruce R. McConkie's doctrinal New Testament commentary, which virtually nobody's heard of, gets picked up and included in the Institute Manual on the New Testament, the life and teachings of Jesus and his apostles, so that thousands and thousands and thousands of young people can be exposed to this comment by Elder McConkie that there are perils in a paid ministry. Yes, Elder McConkie, on this one, we are in agreement. There are indeed perils in a paid ministry. Example nine is 1980, Hugh Pinnock. You may remember him. He was kind of up to his ears in the whole Mark Hoffman affair. Hugh Pinnock gave a talk in April, General Conference 1980. I was on my mission at that time. I was serving in Himeji and enjoying the cherry blossoms, which were in abundance there. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. But I wasn't able to hear or listen to or watch General Conference being on the other side of the world and technology being then not what it is today. But Hugh Pinnock gave a talk called The Restored gospel. Now, Hugh Pinnock is going to go through a number of aspects of the church, which he finds laudatory. And you will find that in the middle of these and toward the end, he's going to sneak in that there's an unpaid clergy in the church. Listen closely. It's, it's kind of like looking for where's Waldo in this list, except now we're listening for unpaid clergy. Play the clip. A worldwide missionary system wherein 30,000 men and women serve. Baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. An unpaid clergy freely have received, freely give. Teachings that stress the redeeming and positives of life. Did you hear it? Right in there. Right after baptism by immersion for the remission of sins, he sneaks in an unpaid clergy. And then he gives the quote, Freely ye have received, freely give from Matthew 10 and 8. And that citation is actually in the written transcript of Hugh Pinnock's talk on the LDS Church's website. And as to any of these other aspects of the LDS Church, at least those mentioned in this paragraph, there's only one that gets a scriptural citation to prove it's true and prove it's in accordance with the New Testament, and it is this one. An unpaid clergy, freely ye have received, freely give, Matthew 10 and verse 8. Going on to quotation number 10. For the next quotation, quotation number 10, we go to 1985. Now, this is extremely interesting, all right? We have two quotations from the General Conference in October of 1985. And the first one I want to talk about is Gordon B. Hinckley, who was speaking in the priesthood session at the end of the priesthood session because he was the acting president of the church at the time, by which I mean he was in the first presidency as a counselor, but basically carrying the full load. And this statement is remarkable in that he actually does mention that there is an allowance that leaders of the church are paid. So this is a quote that comes in on the other side of the column and is frequently mentioned by apologists to argue that the church has not been secretive about the fact that the leaders of the church are paid. Just taking these first 10 quotes from 1965, I think we can see where it is the members got that idea, and this simply becomes a counterexample. Now, a few things I have to mention is that, yes, number one, this was given in priesthood session. It's not attended by women. Second, it was the closing talk. And third, Gordon B. Hinckley talks for 25 minutes. So this one passing reference to leaders of the church receiving an allowance did not stand out 
to many people, because if it had, there would not have been such universal shock in 2017 when it was leaked that the leaders of the church did get paid. What Gordon B. Hinckley is doing in his talk is he is simply answering questions that are frequently asked about the church. Indeed, the name of his talk is Questions and Answers. And this is what he says. Now, I am going to play a clip from Gordon Hinckley. It's going to be a couple of minutes long, but the reason I do that is to give you some context. In this segment of his talk, he is answering the question, which he himself has posed, why is the church in commercial business of any kind? So he's talking about the commercial dealings of the church. And in the context of this, here is what he will say. I should like to add parenthetically. So this is a parenthetical comment, right? It's not just something I'm calling a parenthetical comment. Gordon B. Hinckley himself called it a parenthetical comment when he was saying it. He says, I should like to add parenthetically for your information that the living allowances given the general authorities, which are very modest in comparison with executive compensation in industry and the professions, come from this business income and not from the tithing of the people. So in the context of this, what he's doing is he's talking about the commercial interests that the church owns, and then he's going to make a point. His point isn't to disclose that the leadership of the church gets a living allowance. His point is going to be positive. His point is going to be that, number one, it's very modest in comparison to other leaders of other industries and professions. And number two, he wants to make it clear that it does not come from the tithing of the people. It comes from the income produced and generated by the commercial property and interests of the church. Play the tape. The merchandising interests are an outgrowth of the cooperative movement, which existed among our people in pioneer times. The church has maintained certain real estate holdings, particularly those contiguous to Temple Square, to help preserve the beauty and the integrity of the core of this city. All of these commercial properties are tax-paying entities. I repeat, the combined income from all of these business interests is relatively small and would not keep the work going for longer than a very brief period. I should like to add parenthetically for your information that the living allowances given the general authorities, which are very modest in comparison with executive compensation in industry and the professions, come from this business income and not from the tithing of the people. So in all fairness, we do have to give credit to Gordon B. Hinckley for even mentioning the fact that there is some kind of an allowance that general authorities receive. He doesn't say how much it is. He says it's very modest, at least in comparison with other executive compensations. And he wants to make it clear it doesn't come from the tithing of the church. It comes from the business interests of the church, as if there would be any business interests of the church without the tithing in the first place. But setting that point aside, let's give him credit for saying this. However, I do think that sometimes the truth comes out inadvertently when we're trying to make a positive point. In other words, I don't know that Gordon B. Hinckley would have mentioned this if he weren't talking about the commercial business of the church. And he brings it up only to show that really what the general authorities make is very modest in comparison to what other executives make in other industries and professions. And he wants to underscore the fact that it doesn't come from the tithing of the members of the church. That's very important for him to make that distinction. He wants his audience to know that. 
The problem is that in order to make those positive points about the church, he has to tip his hand and disclose the fact that yes, the general authorities do get a living allowance. Now, by the way, this was given in 1985, and it is my understanding that prior to 1996, different general authorities and apostles were allowed to sit on boards of corporations owned by the church in order to be paid this living allowance. It's actually payment for sitting on a corporate board, but that it was in 1996 that that changed and the church reorganized things such that they don't have members of the Quorum of the Twelve sitting on different corporate boards. Instead, they simply pay them a salary, what they call an allowance, what they call a stipend, but it's money, whatever you call it. And it's actually a rather large amount of money, as we will get to. So what I'm saying is that when Gordon B. Hinckley is saying this in 1985, he's not talking about the allowance that's being paid to the leaders of the church. He must be talking about something else, because that living allowance was not created, at least not in the way it is today, until 1996, or in other words, 11 years after he gave this talk in general conference. Now, the other thing that's fascinating about this talk in general conference is that in the same general conference, October 1985, just hours before Gordon B. Hinckley says this one line embedded in a 25-minute talk, Another general authority plays the same old trope that there is no paid ministry in the church. This is Elder Derek A. Cuthbert, and you may remember him. He was from England. He has a wonderful English accent. He absolutely powers through his talk because he's got so much to say in so little time. And here's what he says in the Saturday afternoon session of General Conference, October 1985. Play the tape. Question number six. How does your church care for you and fulfill your needs in addition to your word of wisdom? Over the years of my membership in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I have greatly appreciated the opportunities for service, for there is no paid ministry. Every worthy male member of the church above the age of 12 may hold an office in the priesthood. Similarly, the girls and women of the church receive many assignments to lead and teach and serve. Now, this has got to have you scratching your head. How is it that a general authority in general conference in the Saturday afternoon session of October 1985 can say point blank that there is no paid ministry in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And then mere hours later in the priesthood session that same day, how is it that Elder Gordon B. Hinckley can say that the living allowances that are given the general authorities are very modest and that they come from the business income and not from the tithing of the people? Something is not computing there. Either these people are on completely different pages. Either Gordon B. Hinckley is saying one thing and Derek Cuthbert is saying the exact opposite, or there is something going on in their heads where they know, obviously they know, I expect Derek Cuthbert is receiving this allowance even as he's giving this talk in October of 1985. They know that the general authorities are receiving living allowances and yet they frame the issue and define the issue in some clever way in their head such that they feel justified in stating that there is no paid ministry in the church. And as I said, I know that apologists such as those at Fair Mormon like to focus on Gordon B. Hinckley's statement in 1985 General Conference. By the way, they don't mention Derek Cuthbert's quote, and they don't mention any of the other quotes that I've been giving you tonight, stating point blank that there is no paid ministry in the church. But I think that looked at objectively, this statement by Gordon B. Hinckley was like a drop of honesty in an ocean of misinformation. 
And perhaps not surprisingly, this drop of honesty and transparency was not picked up on by the general membership of the church, who continued to believe that the leadership of the church does not get paid. Why? Because they keep telling us over and over, there's no paid ministry in the LDS church. This same idea that Gordon B. Hinckley broached about there being a living allowance given to the general authorities did appear again, but not in general conference, not in any of the manuals produced by the church and taught in the church. Instead, it appears in 1992 in the Encyclopedia of Mormonism. Now, I am one of the few people, I suppose, who actually got a copy of the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, all the volumes. If memory serves, it was published by Macmillan, but it was done under the supervision of the LDS Church. And I will tell you, even though I am probably one of the few people who actually had a copy of the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, I did not read it all the way through. And I did not ever read the article on general authorities found on page 539 of the Encyclopedia of Mormonism. Because guess what? Buried in the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, we have the same information that was given by Gordon B. Hinckley in 1985. Here's the quote from the encyclopedia. Unlike local leaders who maintain their normal vocations while serving in church assignments, general authorities set aside their careers to devote their full time to the ministry of their office. The living allowance, see that? The living allowance given general authorities rarely, if ever, equals the earnings they sacrifice to serve full-time in the church. So they're buried on page 539 of the multi-volume Encyclopedia of Mormonism is that information found once again. And of course, this quote is brought up by apologists as well, saying, see, it wasn't hidden. Everybody knew about it. Everybody... <laughs> Look, it wasn't hidden. It was right there. It was on page 539 of the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, which few Mormons heard of and fewer owned and even fewer read. So there it is. Uh, we're not hiding the ball. We're not trying to pretend that leaders of the church were not paid. But once again, the apologists don't mention any of these other statements that I brought up saying that there is no paid ministry in the church. And indeed, if these few buried quotes from Gordon B. Hinckley and from the Encyclopedia of Mormonism were sufficient to apprise the general membership that the leaders of the church were paid, I do not expect there would have been such widespread shock in January of 2017 when it was revealed that the leaders of the church and the apostles do get paid. So let's go to 2006 now. Once again, we're in general conference, this time in April. We're listening to the words of President Thomas S. Monson. And he's going to tell us once again, in spite of 1985 and Gordon B. Hinckley in 1992 in the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, he's going to let us know or at least give the impression once again that there is no paid ministry in the LDS Church. Play the tape. I've experienced many opportunities. One occurred 21 years ago, prior to the time when the German Democratic Republic, or East Germany, as it was more commonly known, was freed from communist rule. I was visiting with the East German State Secretary, Minister Gysi. At that time, our temple at Freiburg in East Germany was under construction, along with two or three meeting houses. Minister Gysi and I visited on a number of subjects, including our worldwide building program. He then asked, why is your church so wealthy that you can afford to build buildings in our country throughout the world. How do you get your money? I answered that the church is not wealthy, 
but that we follow the ancient biblical principle of tithing, which principle is re-emphasized in our modern scripture. I explained also that our church has no paid ministry and indicated that these were two reasons why we're able to build the buildings then underway, including the beautiful temple at Freiburg. Minister Giese was most impressed with the information I presented, and I was very grateful I was able to answer his questions. Are you ready, brethren? They will come to you. The opportunity to declare a truth may come when we least expect it. Let us be prepared. So here, President Monson is talking about meeting with a German official back in the 80s when he's trying to get that temple built in East Germany, in Freiburg, East Germany. That was a big deal because at that time it was behind the Iron Curtain. And he's talking about speaking with a German authority, a government authority. And he says, quote, I explained also that our church has no paid ministry, period, end of story, and indicated that these were two reasons why we were able to build the buildings then underway. Why? Because we have no paid ministry, therefore we can save all this money that we would be paying on ministry and devote it to buildings. At no point does President Monson explain that when he says our church has no paid ministry, he's excluding from that blanket statement the top leadership of the church, including himself, by the way. Remember, this is now 2006. So he's receiving, he is receiving this allowance. He's being paid. He knows he's being paid. He gets his paycheck every month or every two weeks. He knows he's getting paid as a leader in the church. And yet he is saying that there is no paid ministry in the church. So this is one of the things that makes some of these later statements so egregious is that not only is it like Floyd Weston, who is just talking about the leaders of the church. He doesn't know because he's never been an apostle. He never became an apostle. He doesn't know that they get paid. So he's out here talking and being very popular. And obviously leaders of the church are aware of him. He's that popular. And they're pleased to allow him to go ahead spreading this misinformation, which they do themselves in other publications in the church and in other statements in general conference. So they're happy to allow him to do that. That's one thing, and I think that's bad enough, but it becomes a whole different thing when you are the leader yourself who's receiving the compensation. You are being paid for being a minister in the church, for being clergy, and yet you are saying things to the general membership in general conference like President Thomas S. Monson just did in April 2006. I explained also that our church has no paid ministry. Okay, that's difficult for me to square. When a person who has absolute knowledge because they are a leader of the church, that leaders of the church do get paid to still be preaching the false message that there is no paid ministry in the church. So that was quote number 13, if you're keeping track. Quote number 14 comes from Elder Ballard in October 2006 General Conference. So this is the same year as President Thomas S. Monson and his quote, but that was from April 2006 General Conference. In the following General Conference in October, Elder Ballard is going to hit the same note and teach the same idea. Now, one of the ways this teaching is described is not just to say there's no paid ministry in the church, but to say that there is a lay ministry in the church. Now, a lay ministry, of course, means that you've got your basic members being the ministers. They don't get paid. It's a lay ministry. That's the opposite of a professional clergy or a professional ministry. And here's what he says about the Lord and how the Lord in his infinite wisdom designed his church. Play the tape. 
The Lord in His infinite wisdom has designed His Church to operate with a lay ministry. That means we have been charged to watch over one another and to serve one another. We are to love one another as our Father in Heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ loves us. Our callings and circumstances change from time to time, providing us with different and unique opportunities to serve and to grow. Most of the leaders and teachers in the Church are anxiously engaged in their responsibilities. Some are less effective than others, it is true, but almost always there is a sincere effort to provide meaningful gospel service. So there's Elder Ballard saying that the Lord, in His infinite wisdom, has designed His Church to operate with a lay ministry. There are no exceptions to that blanket statement as he says it in General Conference. There is a lay ministry in the church. They are not paid, and this is understood and was understood by myself as well as thousands if not millions of other Latter-day Saints to mean lay ministry top to bottom. He gives no caveats. He gives no exceptions to that, and that is why it was generally understood in the church that yes, everybody serves Everybody pitches in, everybody fulfills their calling top to bottom, and nobody gets paid in the LDS Church. It's a complete lay ministry. And that quote from Elder Ballard would serve to confirm that belief, incorrect though it turned out to be, and incorrect as Elder Ballard knew it was when he said it. Then in 2008, we have another article in the Enzyme magazine, this from September of 2008. It's by Dale M. Valentine called Coming to Church, Becoming Converted. And he's talking about investigators coming to church and some of the wonderful things that they learned about the LDS Church that help show how true it is. And in the context of his story, there's a group of people that he's talking to, and one of them is a lawyer. And so he's going to quote this lawyer in this paragraph, but that's why there's a lawyer being quoted, because he's in this group of people in the story about which he is speaking. And his bullet point for this part in talking to investigators is share unique truths. Now that's interesting. That's 2008, share unique truths. And here's what he says about that. When investigators come to church for the first time, they are excited to learn about the church. Learning that the church has an unpaid ministry or that living oracles guide the members is often surprising to investigators. And now he's going to quote this unnamed lawyer. But keep the information simple, the lawyer observed. Intricate explanations and deep doctrine only confuse investigators. Well, I can only guess as to what he's talking about there, but it's very clear that what is being said here is that investigators come to church for the first time and they are very excited to learn that the church has an unpaid ministry. Well, I know I was excited to learn that the church had an unpaid ministry because what that means is you're doing it because you believe it. You're not doing it to get paid. There is no monetary benefit to you for being a member of the church. High or low, you're doing it because you know and believe it is true and the right thing to do. So there's quote number 15 from 2008 about the church having an unpaid ministry. Now we go to the next quote, which is from 2009. It is found on the LDS Church's website in the Newsroom blog. It's under date of September 3rd, 2009. It's posted by Doug Anderson. The title is The Church's 
Unpaid Clergy. That's the title of the article in the 2009 Newsroom blog, The Church's Unpaid Clergy. Okay, so that's in big type. That's the headline. It couldn't be more strongly put. Here's what appears in part underneath that headline. Personal sacrifice is vital to the religious faith of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Members volunteer their time to serve in various positions in tens of thousands of congregations throughout the world. Their service is critical at the local level because the church has no full-time paid clergy. That is a remarkable statement because it's absolutely untrue. This is 2009. This is 10 years after the church has reorganized things and been paying the leadership of their church an annual salary. And yet it was put up on the church's own website, on the newsroom blog, under the title, The Church's Unpaid Clergy, that the church has, and this is a quote, the church has no full-time paid clergy, period, end of quote. You might want to remember that quote because later on when it is leaked in 2017 that the church does in fact have a full-time paid clergy, that's one of the excuses that is made that they are paid because they are full-time. And yet notice here and remember, in 2009, the church has no full-time paid clergy. I'm reading it right here off the screen. Let's go to the next quote in 2011. Once again, the church's own website. Once again, the church's own newsroom blog. This is under the title, The Shreveport Times. Church leadership positions strictly volunteer. So what they're doing, I believe, is either synopsizing or replicating an article that was in the Shreveport Times for the church's newsroom blog. And this is on date of February 2nd, 2011, posted by Kim Schoenman. And here's the quote from that article. Leadership and service positions in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are unpaid. Okay, let me repeat that without the full name of the church because sometimes it gets in the way of understanding what's being said. Leadership and service positions in the LDS Church are unpaid. Let me take out the service positions. Leadership positions in the LDS Church are unpaid. That's what it says. Leadership positions are unpaid. Is that true? No. Is that what this article says on the church's website? Yes. It goes on. Chosen through prayer and inspiration, these leaders do not aspire to church positions, but respond to callings in a spirit of service. Moving on to 2012, we're back to General Conference. Once again, a speaker that you may have heard of. His name is Dallin H. Oaks, and he gave a talk in April General Conference 2012 titled, sacrifice. And he talks about all the different sacrifices that church members make and how important it is to sacrifice. He gives one line here, which is pertinent to what we're talking about. And here's what he has to say about professionally trained and salaried clergy in the LDS church. Play the tape. For most followers of Christ, our sacrifices involve what we can do on a day-to-day basis in our ordinary personal lives. In that experience, I know of no group whose members make more sacrifices than Latter-day Saints. Their sacrifices, your sacrifices, my brothers and sisters, stand in contrast to the familiar worldly quest for personal fulfillment. Today, the most visible strength of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the unselfish service and sacrifice of its members. Prior to the dedication of one of our temples, a Christian minister 
asked President Gordon B. Hinckley why it did not contain any representation of the cross, the most common symbol of the Christian faith. President Hinckley replied that the symbols of our Christian faith are the lives of our people. Truly, our lives of service and sacrifice are the most appropriate expressions of our commitment to serve the Master and our fellow man. We have no professionally trained and salaried clergy in The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. As a result, the lay members who are called to lead and serve our congregations must carry the whole load of our numerous Church meetings, programs, and activities. They do this in more than 14,000 congregations just in the United States and Canada. So, no professionally trained clergy. Yeah, we get that. They're not professionally trained like in other religions where you have to go get a doctor of divinity from a university or whatever. You don't have to get that in the LDS church. And by the way, I used to think that was something worth bragging about. Now, after having been a member of the church for over 40 years and having observed an awful lot among the leadership of the church, I'm not sure that's something that should be bragged about. I think more training should be required and it would be a good idea if leaders in the church got more training. But regardless of that, we have no professionally trained and salaried clergy. So no salaried clergy in the LDS church. That's what Dallin H. Oak says, April 2012. Was he telling the truth? No. Did he say it? Yes. Was he receiving a salary as he said it? Yes. Going on to the next quote, also from 2012. Oh, wait a second. This isn't from 2012, and it's not a general authority. This is from the PR department person of the church at the time, Michael Otterson. And even though the title is Religion and Politics, Getting It Right in 2012, this is from an address he gave at the Pointer Institute's conference, Religion and Politics, Getting It Right in 2012. He gave this address on December 8th, 2000. And 11. So the last month of 2011, he gives this address. It's not given to the LDS church. It's not given to church members. It's given in a separate kind of venue. And Michael Otterson was the managing director of public affairs for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Of course, at the time, Mitt Romney was running for president. And what he says in the course of his comments is the following. Michael Otterson is one of the few people who is going to actually allow for the fact that leaders of the church do get compensated, although of course it's modest compensation. Here's what he has to say. That is not the same as saying that Latter-day Saints are not Christian, however. For their doctrinal roots, Latter-day Saints look to a period much earlier, to the teachings of Christ and the apostles at the time that they lived, 400 years before this timeline even begins. Mormons believe that sometime in the first century, the Christian church began to lose or distort some of its foundational doctrines. Hence, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is seen not as a reformation, but as a restoration of that ancient church. Okay, here's the part. Mormons point to the modern parallels with the early church, its 12 apostles, its missionaries who preached two by two, its unpaid ministry at the congregational level, its claim to restored authority, and biblical doctrines on such things as the nature of God. No, that's the quote. I got it wrong. I thought that he was actually going to be honest enough to mention or allow for the fact that leaders in the church, top leaders in the church, do get compensated. He doesn't do that. He simply hints at it. What he says is the LDS church has an unpaid ministry 
at the congregational level. So he adds that condition to the unpaid ministry claim at the congregational level. He doesn't say only at the congregational level. He doesn't say that the leaders of the church don't get paid, but at least he's honest enough to say that the unpaid ministry in the LDS church is at the congregational level. Once again, this is something that's brought up by apologists to show that the church hasn't been hiding the fact that the top leaders get paid. Yeah, I'm not sure that really makes their point for them, at least not very well. So now we go to the next quote, which is a 2013 Enzyme article in the column called Answering Questions. You may remember that in the back of the Enzyme, they would have a regular feature called Answering Questions. Certain questions were asked, certain answers were given, all of this in the official church publication, the Enzyme magazine. In 2013, specifically July of 2013, there was a question that was asked, and the question is this, why does the church have unpaid clergy? That's the question they're answering. And they don't answer it by saying, well, the church has unpaid clergy at the local level, but at the top level and at the general authority level and at the apostolic level, they do get paid. No, this article doesn't make that clarification. It doesn't answer it in a straightforward manner. Instead, this is what it says. From the beginning, the Lord has called his disciples from among ordinary people with diverse backgrounds. They served out of love for the Lord and for others. In the Book of Mormon, for instance, the prophet Alma chose priesthood leaders and commanded them to labor with their own hands for their support. And the priests were not to depend upon the people for their support, but for their labor they were to receive the grace of God. So what are they saying? They're answering the question, why does the church have unpaid clergy? They are talking about these scriptures from the Book of Mormon, some of which I've touched upon before, or similar verses from the Book of Mormon, and they're doing it in a way to show or indicate that the leaders of the church are not paid, there is no paid clergy in the church, and this is why. Because the priests were not to depend upon the people for their support, but for their labor they were to receive the grace of God. They don't say that this is not what happens in the LDS church today, or in 2013 when this article was written. Instead, they give the impression that this is why the leaders of the church are not paid. And in fact, when we find out that the leaders of the church are paid, we see them to be in direct contradiction to the teachings of the Book of Mormon that serves as the foundation for the entire church. Ironic, Nespa. This article concludes by saying, Likewise, in our day, a call to serve gives us the opportunity to help others and to develop and share our talents and spiritual gifts. We are amply repaid for our service by blessings from the Lord. Wow, that is some piece of propaganda. The Enzyme magazine. They changed the title recently to Liahona, which I understand in ancient Hebrew means Pravda. <laughs> okay, so that's another quote from 2013. Finally, now we get to January 2017. January 2017, the leak is made. The proverbial caca hits the fan, and all of a sudden we find out that in spite of all of these past articles, statements, and claims that the LDS church leadership has no paid ministry, we find out that in fact, they do. Here's the article from January 19th, 2017 from KUTV by Rod Decker and Larry D. Curtis. The website Mormon Leaks has published private documents it says indicates how much LDS leaders receive in a living allowance. By the way, this is the first 
article that was written about the subject in the early days. There is some question in some of the quotes from this article as to whether these were legitimate documents. Subsequent events rapidly turned up the fact that yes, they're legitimate. They were never ever disputed by the LDS church. And when it came time for them to try and explain away this somewhat embarrassing incident and revelation, they'd never said, this is not true. What they said was, it's not as much as other people make. The article goes on. The Mormon Leaks site posted a document that it says is a 2014 memo from Gary B. Porter, secretary to the presiding bishopric, to Elder Bruce D. Porter of the First Quorum of the Seventy, said to outline that the 2014 living allowance would go up to $120,000 a year. So 2014, the living allowance for all general authorities, and by this, this means the members of the First Presidency, the members of the Quorum of the Twelve, and the members of the First Quorum of Seventy. These are the individuals in the leadership positions in the church who have a lifetime calling. Well, at least it's lifetime if you're an apostle. If you're 70, it's until you're 70, at which time you're put out to pasture and called emeritus. But those are the groups that have the $120,000 a year salary, at least as of 2014. The document reads, in accordance with approved procedures, the annual general authority base living allowance has been increased from $116,400 to $120,000 even. This will begin with your paycheck issued on January 10th, 2014. Pay period one. The article goes on. If those numbers are accurate, general authority's living allowance rose about 3% a year. The Salt Lake Tribune reports that 89 men make up the top tier of the church that is paid the annual allowance. By the way, I did a little bit of math on this. I'm not sure it's correct. You can double check me. But my math is that with 89 men at $120,000 base salary a year comes to a total of $10,680,000 just for the base salary for those 89 top tier men. The article goes on. In 2013, the allowance had been 116400 according to the memo. A Charity Navigator report on pay of charity CEOs showed some worked for less than half the LDS 120 grand, but they headed smaller organizations. For larger charities, most of which still aren't as large as the LDS church, CEO pay often fell between 500000 and one million. So, okay, these general authorities are not being paid as much as people are compensated in other kinds of charities. But, you know, I always thought this wasn't a charity. I thought this was the Restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and that one of its true signs was number six, no paid ministry. Well, all that's going to change once it was leaked that we do have a paid ministry. The article goes on. The website also posted what it says are Elder Henry B. Irings, pay stubs from the year 2000, showing a living allowance just above $80,000. The eight-page document embedded below had Iring's social security number redacted and shows tax deductions, a living allowance, and a parsonage, or housing, on the bi-weekly stub. So it is paid every two weeks. LDS Church spokesman Eric Hawkins did not confirm the authenticity of the leaks, but did comment generally in a statement on church officials being supported by funds from the church. So if Eric Hawkins, as the LDS Church spokesman, does not confirm the authenticity of the leaks, it's because 
They're authentic. And instead of talking about how this is not true, we don't have paid ministry in the church. I mean, haven't you listened to all of our leaders going back to 1965 with Boyd K. Packer? Haven't you listened to the Floyd Weston talk, the 17 points of the true church? Haven't you been listening to us? There are no paid ministry in the church. That's not what Eric Hawkins says. (laughs) Instead, all of a sudden, it's time for gaslighting. And I mean this in the classic sense. Here's what he says on behalf of the church. General authorities leave their careers when they are called into full-time church service. When they do so, they focus all of their time on serving the church and are given a living allowance. The living allowance is uniform for all general authorities. None of the funds for this living allowance come from the tithing of church members, but instead from proceeds of the church's financial investments. So notice that... In 2017, the church by its spokesman comes out and admits that church leaders are given a living allowance. He's not going to say how much it is because, you see, that's still private. That's still super secret squirrel stuff. That's why he's not going to confirm the authenticity of the documents because that would be confirming how much they make. But he does admit that they are given a living allowance, that it's uniform. And one of the excuses or reasons he gives for this in this official church statement is that general authorities leave their careers when they are called into full-time church service. When they do so, they focus all of their time on serving the church and are given a living allowance. That's a quote right from the statement. Notice what he's saying there. Because they serve the church full-time, they are given a living allowance. Now compare that statement with what appeared on the church's newsroom blog back in 2009. And once again, you can find that there right now. You can find this statement, which absolutely contradicts what Eric Hawkins said in 2017 after the leak. What it said in 2009, the church's unpaid clergy, quote, their service is critical, i.e. members of the church. Their service is critical at the local level because the church has no full-time paid clergy. That's the quote. The church has no full-time paid clergy. That was 2009. Fast forward to 2017. It is disclosed by leak that the church does have a full-time paid clergy. And the fact that they are full-time is given as an excuse by the church for why it is that they are paid. Once again, from Eric Hawkins, 2017, January. When they do so, when the general authorities leave their careers and are called into full-time church service, when they do so, they focus all of their time on serving the church and are given a living allowance. So what the church says in 2009 is that the church has no full-time paid clergy gets completely contradicted in 2017 and is actually used as a justification for why it is the church has a full-time paid clergy. They get paid because, hey, it's full-time. Now, the most recent information we have on that is $120,000 base pay per year for the general authorities. That was in 2014. If I get out my handy-dandy calculator and assuming a 3% COLA for every year in between, that would become $152,000 per year base salary in 2022, i.e. in this year that I'm recording this. To show my work, in 2014, it was $120,000. In 2015, it goes to $123,000. 
2,600. In 2016, it goes to 127,308. In 2017, it goes to 131,127. 2018, 135,060. 2019, 139,111. 2020, 143,284. 2021, 147,582. And finally, drumroll please, in 2022, the base salary of the general authorities of the LDS Church is $152,009. Nice work if you can get it. Now, on January 18th, 2017, there was an article that was written by Sharon Lindblom. It's titled, Mormon Business, Paying the Churches Unpaid Clergy. That's a good title, Paying the Churches Unpaid Clergy. It's dated 18th January 2017. Now, this is fined on the MRM website, which I believe is Mormon Research Ministries website, a website that's generally going to be critical of the church. But I read through this article, which I found while doing my research, and I thought it was so well put and actually so fairly stated that I wanted to share it with you here. Last week, Mormon Leaks posted documents related to the salaries the LDS Church pays its full-time top leaders. These documents include several bi-weekly pay stubs for LDS Apostle Henry B. Eyring, dating to the year 2000, as well as a 2014 notice to LDS 70 Bruce Porter confirming that he, along with all the church's general authorities, was getting a raise. The salaries provide a comfortable living for the 108 general authorities of the church and their families. Now, you'll notice the number here is different. In this article, it's 108. In the Salt Lake Tribune, it was 89. I don't know which is correct. Let's suffice it to say that there's a lot of them. In my opinion, continues the article, this is fine and is their due. See, this is fair and balanced. In my opinion, this is fine and is their due. Yet the public revelation of these six-figure incomes has created quite a stir. Yeah, that's true. I remember it. It wasn't that long ago, and my memory's not that bad. It created quite a stir. While some Mormons are not troubled by these disclosures, for example, BYU professor Daniel Peterson says he is underwhelmed by this scandal, they have nevertheless kicked into defense mode, arguing that the salaries are modest in comparison to what these men could earn in traditional secular employment. Yes, we've heard that argument. Furthermore, as one Mormon put it, the leaders need to eat and provide the basics for their families. Since they can't work on their own, it makes sense for the church to take care of their needs. So there's that full-time clergy kind of thing, in spite of the fact that in 2009 the church said, no full-time clergy, now there's full-time clergy. These arguments are quite reasonable. Hmm, see? These are reasonable arguments, says this author. And I would agree with her. These arguments are quite reasonable. However, they avoid the elephant in the room. The problem regarding these leaked documents is not how much Mormon leaders are paid, but that they are paid. And that is indeed exactly what the controversy centered around and continues to center around in some quarters even to this day. The LDS Church has always asserted proudly and repeatedly that there is no paid clergy in the Mormon Church. We've gone over a bunch of quotations establishing that point in this podcast. That is correct. The LDS Church has always asserted proudly and repeatedly that there is no paid clergy in the Mormon Church. This is touted as one of Mormonism's distinctives, an important attribute that sets it apart from Christian churches. Or I would change this if I were writing it to say other Christian churches, but regardless. Consider a few LDS teachings on this. Now, this is from Franklin D. Richards in General Conference October of 1968. He says, one of the important and distinguishing features of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that its affairs are administered by the lay members of the church rather than by 
paid clergy. So there's another quote that I didn't catch before, which we can add to the list. Here's another quote from the year 2000. This is a story told by Boyd K. Packer found in the basic manual for priesthood holders titled Duties and Blessings of the Priesthood. So here's the quote. Did they also tell you that we have no professional clergy? All of us contribute our time, our talents, our means, and travel all to help the work. And we're not paid for it in money. Oh my gosh. This is Boyd K. Packer. This is from the year 2000 that this is being printed in an official church publication. So there's another quote. Here's one from John A. Widso from 1951 from his book, Joseph Smith, Seeker After Truth, Prophet of God. John A. Widso, as most of you know, was an apostle in the LDS church. Here's the quote from that book. Out of this body of priesthood, now great, were drawn and are drawn the administrative workers of the church. The First Presidency, the Council of the Twelve Apostles, the Council of the First Quorum of the Seventy, the Presiding Bishopric, the Stake and Ward Officers, and the many others needed, but only for such time as they are needed. The Church, and here's the money quote, <laughs> or the not money quote, the Church has carried on successfully with such a voluntary, unpaid body of officers and teachers, and there he includes it from the First Presidency, the Twelve Apostles, First Quorum of the Seventy, Presiding Bishopric, all the way down. And then he states, in reference to all of those, the church is carried on successfully with such a voluntary, unpaid body of officers and teachers. So there is another quote that we can add to our list that is mentioned in this article. She goes on, Additionally, many Latter-day Saints are quick to criticize churches that have a paid clergy, believing that paid ministers will succumb to greed and serving their own self-interests. The view against paid clergy has been widely disseminated within the Mormon community. Well, that's spot on. Two BYU professors articulated this attitude while discussing what they believe to be the evils of Christian creeds. And here she's going to quote an article from the year 2000 written by Joseph Fielding McConkie and Craig Osler titled Revelations of the Restoration. Here's what they say. Wherever creeds are found, one can also expect to find a paid clergy. The simple truths of the gospel cloaked in the dark robes of mystery, religious intolerance, and a history of bloodshed. Classic example, classic example of how it is that Mormon writers and leaders and professors talk about a paid ministry or a paid clergy as something that apostate churches do, not the true church, not the restored church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which of course has no paid ministry and no paid clergy. The article goes on. Another contributor to the LDS idea that ministers should not be paid came from the Mormon Temple Endowment Ceremony. You remember that? Do you remember it before 1990? When there was actually an entire character in the endowment that was cut from the presentation, it was a Protestant minister who was a lackey of Lucifer and who Lucifer talked to and paid in order to get him to preach the gospel to Adam and Eve. So this article continues. Another contributor to the LDS idea that ministers should not be paid came from the Mormon Temple Endowment Ceremony that, up until 1990, included the representation of a sectarian minister who was paid by Lucifer to preach the Orthodox religion. All of this together has led to a widespread belief that no one holding an ecclesiastical leadership position within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is paid. This is why... The Mormon leaks documents have made the news, not because general authority paychecks provide for a comfortable living 
LDS defenders will argue that the church has only said local clergy are unpaid, which excludes overseers of the entire church, or that the church says there is no professional clergy, meaning no leaders are theologically trained, or that the money these leaders receive is only a living allowance, not a salary, or that these men are not actual employees because they were called into these positions. So though they receive money from the church, they are not paid specifically for their service, or because the money they receive does not come from tithing funds, but rather from the church's business ventures, this somehow cancels out the fact that they are paid. And I think this article does a very good job of setting forth all the different apologetic responses to the revelation in 2017 that leaders do get paid in spite of all the statements made to the contrary by church leaders in the past. The article goes on, the Salt Lake Tribune reported that LDS church spokesman Eric Hawkins explained, general authorities leave their careers when they are called into full-time church service, Hawkins said in a statement. When they do so, they focus all of their time on serving the Lord and are given a living allowance. The living allowance is uniform for all general authorities, including First Presidency, Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, First and Second Quorums of the Seventy, and Presiding Bishopric. So maybe it is the First and the Second Quorums of the Seventy that get this allowance as well. I'm not positive about that, but that's what it says here in the article. It goes on with a quote from Eric Hawkins. No funds for this living allowance, the spokesman said, come from the tithing of church members, but instead from proceeds of the church's financial investments. It goes on, whatever the LDS Church has intended to communicate regarding its unpaid clergy, the message that has been understood by many Latter-day Saints and repeated time and again to this non-member, i.e. the person who's writing the article, and by the way, I will say parenthetically, and repeated again and again to this member, but the thing that's been repeated over and over is that the Mormon Church has no paid ecclesiastical leaders, and this, Mormons believe, is as it must be in the one true church. So this article is doing a great job of showing why it is that this was so controversial when it was leaked that leaders of the church got paid, because as Mormons believe, this is as it must be in the one true church. When commenting on the Salt Lake Tribune article regarding the leaked pay stubs, an LDS woman named Cindy challenged the validity of the leaked documents rather than believe that church leaders are paid. Here's what she wrote. Now, this is fascinating because members of the church are so indoctrinated into the idea that the top leaders do not get paid when it was revealed the pay stubs that they did get paid. It was common among members of the church and this particular member named Cindy specifically to believe this is all a lie. These are fake documents. These are frauds. We know church leaders don't get paid. Therefore, any documents saying that they do get paid must be a fraud. So here's what Cindy writes. And how reputable are the sources? As a long member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, for 55 years, with family in leadership positions, no one gets paid. That's what Cindy writes. No one gets paid. Stop believing non-members who are hateful and neglect the truth of the church. Get your facts straight. And if you only think you know, get your facts right before you start talking and demeaning a church. So that's how much Cindy, a member of the church for 55 years and with family members in leadership positions, felt about this. These are false facts. Nobody gets paid in the LDS church. But in fact, Cindy was wrong. But Cindy wasn't wrong because she wasn't paying attention. Cindy was wrong because she was paying attention and listened to the leaders of the church tell Cindy that the leaders did not get paid. That's why she believed it. That's why she responded in this way. The article continues, in Mormons Under the Microscope, 
published in 2010, a book I've never heard of. LDS author Ed D. Lauritsen answers the question, how much does the Mormon church pay its bishops? Going beyond just the question of bishops, though, Dr. Lauritsen responds, quote, In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, neither bishops nor any other ecclesiastical leaders nor missionaries are paid for their service. Paid ministry is merely one of many unauthorized changes that took place in Jesus' ancient church as a result of the falling away that was prophesied. That's on page 181 of this book, Mormons Under the Microscope. So once again, as recently as 2010, this type of misinformation is being peddled to members of the church. And it's being peddled once again as a sign that the LDS church is true and it's in harmony with the same practices as in Jesus' ancient church in New Testament times. And it is very clear it's not just talking about bishops. It says neither bishops nor any other ecclesiastical leaders are paid for their service. The article continues, Mormonism has a history of criticism toward Christianity's paid clergy. This is especially egregious in light of the fact that the LDS church pays its own full-time leaders. Can you say hypocrisy? I knew you could. Whether called a living allowance or a salary, that is a distinction without a difference. Mormon defenders may continue to argue to the effect that what the church said about paid clergy is not what it meant, but the fact remains that this Mormon leak's disclosure would not be news if so many people hadn't been led to believe by the LDS church that paid clergy equals corruption, and therefore, LDS leaders are not paid. Once again, the Mormon church's lack of transparency and its lack of clarity has brought upon itself justifiable reproach. Now, you might think that after these revelations and leaks about the top church leaders getting paid six-figure base salaries, by the way, I decided to go and look and see if there was a definition for base salary because I thought that might be important since that phrase is used when talking about the $120,000 base salary. By the way, that was back in 2014. It's... Uh, Probably substantially more than that if we allow for a 3% COLA or cost of living allowance increase every year, which appears to be the practice as reflected in these documents. And you will recall that, at least according to my math, if there has been a 3% cost of living allowance each year since 2014, the base salary is now over $150,000. In fact, it's $152,000 and $9 in 2022. So here's what it is. Basic salary, also called base salary, is the amount of money a salaried employee, notice that word salaried employee, yeah, it's a salary, a salaried employee regularly earns before any additions or deductions are applied to their earnings. That's their base salary. Additions and deductions to basic salary can significantly affect the size of an employee's paycheck. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? So they may have additions to it. They may have deductions from it. But I don't know. I've just got this sneaking suspicion that the additions are going to outweigh the deductions in this particular category. But as I'm saying, you would think that after this totally blew up on the church and they were exposed as having a paid leadership and this massive controversy that occurred, you would think they would be more circumspect in their statements on the subject going forward. Or if they're going to talk about the subject at all, you would think they would be sure to mention the fact that they do get a modest living allowance. Shockingly to me, the church leaders have gone ahead in general conference and in other venues to continue to teach that there is no paid clergy in the LDS church. 
I was floored by this discovery, and this is actually what prompted me to do this episode. Because after 2017, when the church was exposed as having misinformed its membership for decades and decades to the effect that there is no paid ministry in the church, it got exposed that the leaders of the church actually get a six-figure base salary, you would think they would stop spreading the same misinformation. But no, they keep doing it. That's why I wanted to do this show. There are three examples I have of leaders of the church continuing to spout the same claim that there is no paid ministry in the church. The first of these three comes from 2019. It's General Conference. It's April. It's the Saturday morning session. It's Elder Matthias Held. He's talking about how it was that he, and I believe his wife, but at least he ended up becoming converted to the church and what it was that he found so appealing about the church when he was investigating it. And you may be surprised to find that in April 2019, more than two years after the leak of the fact that leaders of the church get a six-figure base salary, Elder Matthias is still preaching to the church that there is no paid clergy in the church. And that is one of the things that appeals to him so much. Here it is, play the tape. Being baptized again would also mean becoming members of this new church. So first, we really needed to understand everything about it. But how could we know if what the missionaries were telling us about the Book of Mormon, about Joseph Smith, and about the plan of salvation was actually all true? Well, we had understood from the words of the Lord that we could know them by their fruits. So, in a very systematic manner, we started examining the church by looking for those fruits with the eyes of our very rational minds. What did we see? Well, we saw friendly and happy people and wonderful families who understood that we are meant to feel joy in this life and not just suffering and misery. A church that does not have a paid clergy, a church that does not have a paid clergy, a church that does not have a paid clergy, but one in which members themselves accept assignments and responsibilities. A church where Jesus Christ and families are at the center of everything, where members fast once a month and donate to help the poor and needy, where healthy habits are promoted, teaching us to abstain from harmful substances. Stop the tape. A church that does not have a paid clergy is what he just said in April of 2019. I remember listening to this conference session and thinking, what the what? Did you really just say that? Did you really just repeat this old line of argumentation that there's no paid clergy in the church? Even after the fact that they are paid at the top levels was exposed two years before. This is why I call this episode the Mormon myth that would not die, unpaid ministry because it does not seem that there's anything that's going to kill this myth. Leaders of the church are going to continue to spout it even after it's been proven in front of all the world that it's not true. And here's something that happened again as recently as last December. I am recording this in March of 2022. In December of 2021, President Dallin H. Oaks was giving an address at a law school. Now, this wasn't the University of Virginia law school where he got into trouble with claiming that electroshock conversion therapy had ended before he became president of BYU. No, that's not this address. This address was given in December of 2021, and it was given at a law school in Rome. And I believe the name of the university is the Sapienza 
University in Rome. You have got to hear this audio clip because President Dallin H. Oaks is going to once again say the same canard to this group as was said in the 2019 General Conference by Elder Matthias held. Dallin Oaks cannot resist going through his curriculum vitae of accomplishments as a lawyer and as a leader in the LDS Church, and then he's going to say that there is no paid ministry in the LDS Church. Don't believe it? Play the tape. Thank you, Professor. I feel very privileged to address this important audience of future leaders of many different nations. My lifelong advocacy of religious freedom is grounded in my religious faith. It may provide helpful context at the outset if I share briefly with you the religious, legal, and personal background that has shaped my perspective on the issues on which I will be speaking. As you know from this gracious introduction, I am a leader in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, previously known as Mormons. What you may not know is that we have no officially trained clergy. Similarly, our church has no paid clergy. Similarly, our church has no paid clergy. Our church has no paid clergy. We have lay leadership in over 30,000 congregations in about 150 nations throughout the world. Our leaders are called from various occupations to serve as ministers, just as Jesus called fishermen and a publican to the earliest Christian worship. Consequently, it is not unusual that I, a lawyer and former law professor and judge, am a world leader in my church. We are the fourth largest denomination in the United States and growing rapidly in other nations. Over half of our present membership of nearly 17 million is outside the United States. My position makes me acutely aware of religious freedom issues faced by our members and by other religious communities throughout the world. Now, I played a good chunk of what Elder Oaks had to say after he made the claim that there's no paid ministry in the church because I wanted to give him the opportunity to clarify that. I honestly heard him say that and I thought, surely he's going to clarify this at some point, that this actually is not universal in the LDS church and that, in fact, he, as one of the apostles and as one of the members of the first presidency of the LDS church, does, in fact, get paid, does, in fact, receive a salary, that this statement applies only to people who are on the lower levels of leadership in the church, to the bishops and the state presidents. They're the ones who don't get paid, but he doesn't do it. You can go back, you can listen to the entire thing yourself. He never clarifies that. He leaves his audience with the impression that he designs to leave them with. He is an expert with words. He uses words for a living, and it is clear to me that he wants to leave them with the same impression that leaders of the church have wanted to leave members and non-members with for decades and decades, which is that there is no paid ministry in the church. He's a minister in the church. He's included in this. And even while he is receiving an annual six-figure base salary from the church, he is trying to give the impression 
that there is no paid ministry in the church, that he does not get paid as a minister in the church, and that he does this knowing that he is being paid, even while he is talking to this law school and trying as best he can to get them to believe that he does not get paid. This is really problematic in my point of view. And it's almost pathological at this point. Not only is it disinformation that he knows is disinformation, it's disinformation after it's been exposed on the front page of newspapers throughout the world that he does get paid and that leaders of the church do receive a sizable salary. But that's why I say it's pathological. What kind of mind does it take to continue to spread this false statement when you know that it was already exposed as recently as 2017? And finally, the third example of the same idea still being taught today is not just one example. It's actually hundreds and thousands of examples because it comes from the Preach My Gospel manual. This was originally put together in 2005. It's from Lesson 5. These are the missionary discussions. Lesson 5, Laws and Ordinances. So this is something that even though it was originally put together in 2005, continues to be preached today. I access this from the church website. This is the language in Preach My Gospel currently in use on the church website, which means this is what missionaries are teaching today to thousands and thousands of people, or at least as many as they can get to listen as far as Lesson 5 in the missionary discussions. But here it is, quote, Soon after baptism, new members receive from priesthood leaders the blessing of a responsibility to help in the church. This is referred to as a calling. All of the work in the church is voluntary. No one is paid for such service, period. Let me repeat that. All of the work, this is a quote, all of the work in the church is voluntary. No one is paid for such service. Once again, you can go to Lesson 5, Laws and Ordinances in the Preach My Gospel manual currently available on the church website, at least until they scramble to change it. But that's what it states. And this is what missionaries are teaching investigators throughout the world, even today in March of 2022. So that's about all I have for tonight. That, once again, is why I call this show The Mormon Myth That Would Not Die, Unpaid Ministry. This particular trope is going to be repeated forever and ever, it seems, in spite of the fact that it is public knowledge now that it is not true, that it is not correct, that the top leaders of the church do get paid, but it doesn't make any difference. They're still going to say that they don't get paid until the crack of doom. I want to thank everybody who has made a donation to Radio Free Mormon. It's your donations that keep me broadcasting behind enemy lines. If you have not done so, I encourage you to go to RadioFreeMormon.org today, make a contribution, hopefully a monthly continuing contribution, $5 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month, whatever you can afford. Your contributions will keep Radio Free Mormon broadcasting behind enemy lines. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air. (laughs) 